What an awesome day to be together. I am excited about this morning. I'm excited to be with you. Get out your Bible if you have one or your device and get ready to talk about um, work in a way that is really about not working. So today I'm going to end our four-week series on work, which has been a series to help you at work. I'm going to end this series with a sermon about rest. Everybody say rest. Now, of all the sermons that I preach in a year, there are some that are a little harder to hear and some that I know from the beginning that, that there are people going to be sitting out in the audience that are going to, throughout my sermon, roll their eyes. And so if you are one of those that's like, oh, here we go, a sermon that's unrealistic, because I'm going to talk to you about how you ought to be the kind of person that works from rest. And so if you're one of those that thinks it's impossible and you're going to roll your eyes, go ahead and have at it. You can do it. It's okay. I, um, I know I have a teenage daughter, so I know what it feels like to uh, have eyes rolled at, all right? So um, I've been in this series, and a few things that we've talked about in this series is that God works his work through our work. We also talked about a couple of weeks ago that the way we work reveals what we believe about God. And then last week, I talked to you about how we're made for collaborative working relationships. We talked about the little M, you know, the mission of our uh, corporation that we work for or the school that we attend. And then there's the big M, right? The big M is the mission of God in the world and how God is working through us to accomplish that. And so it's been a fun series. If you've missed any of the talks, I would encourage you to go to podcast.neartownchurch.org. Uh, and or certainly we want you to subscribe to the podcast and catch those talks, all right? By the way, um, we're also beginning a new series next week uh, called All, which is going to be a lot of fun. And so it's really focused on Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, the great commission of Jesus. And so uh, there are going to be three of us preaching in that three-week series. So next week is Andrew, Pastor Andrew. The week after that is uh, our, our pastor friend uh, from Caruso Gray, Sergio, is going to preach and then, uh, and then I'll finish up the three-week series. And so it'll be a good time. All right, y'all excited about that? Great. I'm, I'm excited too. You know, I believe that you ought to uh, enjoy your work. I do believe that. I, I believe that since we spend the majority of our lives working at a job, it's reasonable to think that you can enjoy your job. Now, for most of you, it means that you're going to remain at the job that you have right now. So, and that is like mind boggling to you because some of you hate your job. You hate your work. And some of you have hated multiple jobs and you've tried to find a new job. And even in that new job, you find it's miserable. So you're looking for just the right one. But I want to just put before you the idea that it is possible for you to enjoy your work. You can. And I believe that God would certainly want you to, even when it's difficult. You know, as we talk about what it means to work and specifically to rest from work or to work from our rest, I know that in our culture, there's a dangerous voice. There's a dangerous voice that says that more busy or more work equals more joy. And so people, and maybe you're one of these, people's lives are at a frenetic pace. So it's not just the work you're doing at your work, but just working in general. People's lives are at a frenetic pace, and internally, the problem is that we fear that if we don't overwork, we will get left behind. Does anybody have that kind of feeling in their heart? Like, like if I don't work harder than everybody else, then I'm going to get left behind. I mean, these are very real, legitimate uh, realities in our world. But here's the thing. Overworking 
And working without rest is killing you. It's killing you, figuratively and literally. The reality is that most of our lives are overloaded. And what could happen is that it could sink us. So one of the more memorable and unique illustrations about rest involves a 19th century British politician named Samuel Plimsoll. Have you ever seen this painted line on a ship? Have you seen that? Raise your hand if you've ever seen that on a ship. Some of you work in the port, so you might be familiar to you. It indicates the load line on a ship. So the advent of insurance in the 19th century created incentive for ship owners to purposely sink their own ships and collect insurance money. So this was most easily done by the owner overloading the ship, knowing that once it got into the open water, it began rocking back and forth. And because it was overloaded, it would sink. And so the ship owners would get insurance money from it. Well, there was a a man by the name of Plimsoll who had a conviction uh, that was informed by his faith in Jesus Christ. And he decided that this was not okay. So he, in 1868... In a chapel service, he was a person of influence, obviously, he announced that he would do all in his power to put an end to the unseaworthy ships owned by the greedy and the unscrupulous. Because when the ships sank, not only did they lose the merchandise and it was dishonest, but what else happened? People died. People died not really even knowing that they were going to go out for their last cruise. So Plimsoll uh, basically... Um, passed was a part in Parliament of passing this what was called the Merchant Shipping Act, which required all ships to have a line painted around their hulls, and it's called the Plimsoll Line. Raise your hand if you knew that. Greg, I hope that you would know that. Yes, of course. So you and I are smarter than everybody else in here today, at least on this one. So this thing is called the Plimsoll Line, and it required, all ships are required to have it. It's a line painted around their hulls. Right, And to this day, this line is painted, and what does it do? It indicates whether or not the ship is overloaded. All of us have that load line in our lives. And the reality is most of us have gotten used to being out in the open waters overloaded. Our schedules are overloaded. Our commitments are too much. And we are seeing all around us people sink. And we think for one minute maybe that we won't, but here's the reality, you will. If your life is overloaded, if your schedule is overloaded, if your work life is out of balance, you will sink. Now, some of you are young enough and you have enough energy that you think, no, not me. I'm getting old enough. And the reality is that at some point, physiologically, your body will slow you down. And in our culture, there are not a lot of people that are patting you on the back for resting. Are there? (laughs) No, there's not. There's not a lot of people that are telling you to slow down to rest. But, you know, God has set in our identity the need and the rhythm to rest. Do you know that? Genesis chapter 1, if you have your Bible, open it up. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, which I talked about a few weeks ago, kind of begins to help us understand the meaning of work. And what we saw a few weeks ago is that God worked so we work. God works so we work. So in Genesis chapter 1, we read the story of creation. Now, I'm not going to read it all, but I want you to go there if you have a Bible. Genesis chapter 1. We see in verse 1 of chapter 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And what begins to happen is a description of how God, through his spoken word, brings into existence all that's been created. Bless you. 
In verse 3, it says he creates light, and God said, let there be light. Verse 8 said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate from the waters of the waters. Verse 9, it goes on, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. This is a fantastic passage of scripture. I would encourage you to read it. Be aware of it. Verse 11, let the earth sprout vegetation. So this is the story of God creating. Verse 14, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Verse 20, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. And then, of course, in verse 24, uh, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and birds of the, uh, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And then in verse 26, God makes works to make man. Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. So we go on and we read the story of how God speaks into existence out of nothing all that's been created, Right? And then we see something really incredible happen. It's in six days or six periods of time. I'm not interested in debating that point. But it's in six periods of time that God creates. And then what happens on the seventh day? Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. In other words, he set it aside as a special kind of day. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the source of the biblical mandate to rest is in the person and work of God himself, who after completing six days, rested. Do you see that? Now, I don't know about you, but I look at this and be like, wow, okay, so God, almighty God, didn't need to rest, right? He's not limited in energy, but he knew we would, so he set a pattern from the beginning of creation, six days of work followed by a day of rest, We are made in the image of God, and so as we read the way that God rested from his work, we know that we are made to rest from work and to work out of rest. Well, what happens in Genesis chapter 3 is that sin entered. You can read it, Adam and Eve were tempted and they rebelled against God. Sin entered, and since sin entered and disrupted the relationship between us and God and between us and each other, sin entered and affected every person uh, since this point in history. What we know the Bible does is it has to then command us to rest. You see, before sin disrupted our lives, rest was natural. It just made sense. But when sin entered, rest became something that God has to command, which we'll look at in just a moment. But the big idea that I want you to just believe and understand is that neglecting rest is choosing to disrupt the system God has established for you to experience peace. You see, in the Garden of Eden, before sin entered, man had uninterrupted fellowship with the Father. There was no sin that was causing problems. And breaking these relationships between God and man, between man and the earth, between husband and wife. But when sin enters, it disrupts shalom. It disrupts the peace. And so if you choose to neglect rest, you're choosing to disrupt the system God has established for you to experience peace. You want to know why you're not experiencing peace? It's for some of you because you're neglecting rest. So fast forward, Ten Commandments where God gives Israel a list of how they must choose to live. Do you know the Ten Commandments? It's a list of things like don't murder. Who's for that one? Raise your hand or don't lie. Not all of you are for the don't murder. 
Okay, who's for not murdering? I just want to take an image of this for who's not raising. Okay, good, good, all right, we're good. Uh, don't lie, that's a pretty good one. Or here's one that I don't have sex with someone that's not your spouse. That's a pretty good one. So in that list, the one that has the most words associated with it is about rest. Now hear this, fourth commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day. The Sabbath, Sabbat, comes from the word Sabbat, meaning cease or rest. Okay? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember God blessed it and set it aside. God worked six days and he blessed the seventh day, set it aside as a separate kind of a day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So one of the Ten Commandments is you must pick a day in the week after working six days and rest. In the same list where it says don't murder, don't lie, don't commit adultery, is you must rest. This commandment is elusive for most Americans. Only one in seven adults, 14%, set aside a day a week for rest. And most of those work at something even on their day of rest. What's happening is we're walking around like frenetic fools. But I believe that if we let the gospel and God's word penetrate our hearts, we can go to becoming a peaceful person. And so the plan, as we think about this theology of rest, rest from work or working out of rest, I have a little plan for you. Here's a few things that you can do that I think are informed by God's word. First of all, assess your mindset. You must think about the way that you think about work and rest. And here's some questions, okay? So you can write these down or think about them right now. You must ask yourself, do I believe that I can actually enjoy my work over a long period of time while neglecting rest? One reason that some of you are miserable is because you've neglected rest, you've overworked, and you're saying to me, I know, hey, I'm new in my career, you don't know what it's like in my company. Here's what I do know. You do have control on how you establish boundaries with your coworkers and your boss. You do have control of that. And if you let them work you like a dog, they will what? Work you like a dog. And some of that, and we'll talk about it in just a minute, is trusting that God knows what's going on in your business, in your corporation, in your school or whatever. And he can take care of you even if your boss is a complete uh, God hater. So do I believe that I can enjoy my work while neglecting rest? And here's the deal. You will not, over a long period of time, be able to continue enjoying your work if you neglect rest. Here's another question. Does my belief reveal that I do not trust God to work while I'm working? You see, what we're doing when we take Sabbath rest is we are saying, God, I could be working today. There are tasks to complete. But I don't think actually that I am the in charge of the universe. I'm not God. And so I don't have to work on the Sabbath day because I believe, God, that you're working even when I'm not working. You're still accomplishing your purpose even when I'm obeying your command to rest. So really, whether or not you rest has a lot to do with your theology of God. 
Do you believe that God is powerful enough, sovereign enough, strong enough, almighty enough to do what he wants to do through you or at your workplace or in your life or around you without you running yourself in the ground for it to happen? Another question. Who am I trying to oppress by overworking? Who am I trying to impress by overworking? You know, that's the thing that's really strange about our culture. It's like there's something that makes us feel very proud if we can convince others that we work really, really hard. Now, there's nothing wrong about working hard. Of course, that is in the Bible, too, about working hard. But isn't there a strange kind of reality in our culture? Like the people that are running themselves ragged, especially for some of you, the people at your workplace that work 80 hours a week, they're kind of seen as like little gods, But the reality is they're not impressing really anyone for very long because they're going to run themselves into the ground. Another question, just as you're thinking about this idea of work, do I feel like resting makes me seem weak, lazy, or uncommitted? That's the hardest one. Some of you are afraid that others will think you're lazy. Now you're like, some of you, maybe, and I just want to get this out there, like I'm so committed to this sermon and to this Sabbath idea, I'm actually going to rest for six days a week. Uh, Don't do that, right? Because then you have a whole other set of problems like you don't have a job. But isn't there something uh, just strange about the feeling that if I choose rest, if I don't go into work, then people might think that I'm lazy or uncommitted. You need to think about your mindset. A second thing that you must do is, I really do believe this is so important, especially in this day and with many of you who have so many demands on your schedule, so many opportunities to spend your time, you must schedule rest. Everybody say, schedule rest. Now, I want you to take a second and think about this image. Park Hyrie, 28 years old startup business program manager, she places her phone outside of a cell of this place called Prison Inside Me, which is a mock prison facility in Southern Korea. She says just a few months ago, she's being interviewed, this prison gives me a sense of freedom. I shouldn't be here right now, given the work I need to do, but I decided to pause from work. So this article is in the Atlantic in November, and it's a story about a mock prison where inmates, quote, inmates, pay $90 to spend 24 hours in solitary confinement away from phones, clocks, and people. I just wonder how many of you, in seeing that picture, there was a little party that was like, ooh, I don't know that I could even spend any time away from my phone. So this facility is called Prison Inside Me, and the name, of course, is Telling. There's a reality that some people have to pay somebody to force them to be on lockdown to rest from work. So in this facility, clients get a blue prison uniform. They get a yoga mat, a tea set, a pen, and a notebook. They sleep on the floor. There's one little toilet in the bedroom or in that small room. There's no mirror. And the menu is very simple, sweet potatoes and a banana shake for dinner and rice porridge for breakfast. So this was started... um, by a person who said that the mock prison was inspired by her husband, who's a prosecutor who worked 100 hours a week. He said he'd rather go to solitary confinement for a week to, to take a rest and feel better. And it gave her the idea of starting a place where people paid to be forced to be alone and to rest. So people are doing it. 
You can actually look it up if you want. I'm not making this up. People are doing it. They're making a lot of money off people paying to be forced to rest during the week. $90. I'm not sure if this idea strikes you as appealing or ridiculous. Raise your hand if you're like, that sounds pretty awesome. Raise your hand if you're like, that sounds ridiculous. One thing I do know is that if you're going to prioritize rest, you're going to have to schedule it. And I know that many of you like to travel, and you, for sure, have to schedule week-long vacations in advance. And I do believe that you're going to have to look at your schedule and schedule weekly rhythms of rest. And you say, well, that's dumb, Russell. And I would say, that's why you don't do it. That's why you don't do it. Most of you don't. And you think that you can busy yourself constantly neglecting this command by God to Sabbath. You believe that you can neglect it and it's not going to impact you negatively. I promise you over time it will. It will over time. You're setting in your uh, life rhythm something that over time will have negative effects on you. And if you're married or you have children, if you neglect this command to rest, it will be multiplied in your spouse and it will be multiplied in your kids, I believe, multiple times. So scheduling rest enables us to work out of rest then, rather than resting from work. Now, in case you wonder whether or not this is still important to God, I just want to put before you this passage in Exodus, Exodus 31, 14. It says, observe the, path, the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Like this is a serious command. Those who do, do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. Exodus says. And the reason that this is so important to God is because what you choose to do with the command to rest says a lot to the world about who you believe God is. Do you get that? What you choose to do with this command to rest says a lot to the world about what you, who you believe God is. And your life is to be a reflection of who God is in the world. Remember, God works through your work, and God works when you're not working. And when you say, no, I need to establish a boundary and rest here, I cannot live a frenetic, as a frenetic fool, the people around you go, what? And you say, you know what? I trust God to work when I'm not working. He's in control of my job. He's in control of my future. He's in control of my success. And I believe this is the way God made me. And so I want to live into this because I'm made in the image of God. Which is why as a part of my plan for you, I would say another thing that you must do is choose church. Now, this is like preaching to the choir. You all here, you've chosen church, way to go. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, do not neglect meeting together as some are starting to do. I love that passage in Hebrews. And we're actually, after we get done with the all series, I'm going to be teaching for about eight or nine weeks through the book of Hebrews. But what we see there is that there is a command as a part of faith in Christ that you can regularly meet together. So when we think Sabbath, it's not just completely do nothing. It is actually a time where we prioritize worship of God and refocusing on God and being filled up by God, right? That's the point of the Sabbath. It's set aside as a holy day where we're not working. We're not trying to manage or or provide for ourselves. We're actually trying to reconnect with the Father. And you might think it sounds strange to hear me say as a part of this plan that you must choose church. But here's what I want you to know. Hear me very clearly. There is no real rest apart from Christ. And there's no real experience of life with Christ apart from the church. This is a controversial idea. There is no real experience of life with Jesus Christ apart 
from the church. And so when you say, I want to choose rest, but then you deny the church or you don't prioritize it in your weekly schedule, you got a problem. Because there is no real rest apart from Christ, and there's no real experience of life with Christ apart from the people that make up the church. I don't want to be unclear. And I know that every one of you has a legit other opportunity on Sunday morning. But Sunday church attendance is so important. There's no real rest apart from Jesus Christ. I want to say that phrase again. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He's actually talking here to a group of religious people that he's just rebuked and chastised because of the fact that they look religious on the outside, but on the inside they're empty. And he knows in looking at them that they're frenetic. They're frenetic in their religiosity. So he invites them, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If this idea of being yoked with Jesus is new to you or the concept of the yoke, do you know uh, what a yoke is? It's kind of like a wooden collar connecting two animals and they work together. So Jesus' invitation would have been very familiar to those hearers. When he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and the way that you experience my rest is you get yoked with me. Stick with me. It is God's rest into which all persons are encouraged to enter through faith. You say, what is the Christian faith about? Is the Christian faith about a list of rules like, hey, you've got to take a week off or take a day off a week? No, the Christian faith is about an invitation from God to you through Christ to have real life, to experience the peace of life with Christ. There are some in the Old Testament who didn't obey the command of Sabbath, and um, they received the wrath of God, not the rest promised by Jesus. And I do believe that the same is true today. Like if you neglect rest, you are essentially neglecting God. And you're rejecting God. And you'll never really experience the peace of life with Christ. St. Augustine, a very famous theologian in the history of the church, one of the church fathers, in his book called Confessions, which is a raw sort of journaling of his own struggles with sin and experience of of life and the faith. He says this, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. So the weekly day of rest is a weekly confession that we believe that that's true. So when I say rest, it's not just about not going to your job or not filling up your schedule. It is about actually prioritizing your relationship with God on a regular basis and letting him be your source of rest, purpose, and meaning. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, we're encouraged, let us strive to enter that rest. And it's the kind of rest that is connection with God. Now, if you choose church, uh, I promise you, we work hard every week to create an experience that will leave you feeling refreshed and rested. We do this by opening God's word and by feeding you with it. We want to help you see Jesus more clearly. So if you choose church as a part of your willingness to obey the command to rest, then this is our agreement with you. 
will you choose rest? I, I must confess, you know, I, I'm not great at this, actually. Um, I haven't been over the years. Uh, I like to work. And uh, I have over the years um, tried to prove to myself my worth by success in work, which is a really dangerous way to live. And if any of you are counselors, I'd be happy to sit down with you and let you process that with me. Um, but um, that was a joke. That was a joke. I have a counselor. Don't come up to me afterwards. Um, I, um, but there's something that I know to be true. In the seasons of my life where I've chosen to kind of set work tasks aside, and even though they're so demanding, like many of you certainly know that's true, and I just said, Lord, I, I want to connect with you. I want to worship you. I want to just rest in your presence. Coming out of that, there's always those same tasks to do. But when I show up to work with those tasks, I'm a different person. I enjoy them more, even the hard ones. And since I've been married almost 20 years, be 20 years in August and have had four kids in the seasons of our life, where we've lived at a frenetic pace, we've neglected rest. I see the stress all over my kids. But in the seasons of our life where we've chosen to prioritize times of rest, what I see in my kids is peace. And so I'm a little further down the line than uh, most of you, not all of you. But what I'm saying to you is this, is that do not wait until you're 30, you're married, you're 35, you have kids, whatever, 40 years old, to begin obeying this command, because you will miss out on a really beautiful relationship with God, where you essentially say, God, I'm not going to work today, because I believe that you're going to work even when I'm not working, and I trust you. I trust you with the results of my work the other six days of the week. I trust you with the results of my work, even if other people question whether or not I'm a hard worker, because I'm not working seven days a week. So I want you to think about this and to obey this command, and um, let's think on and pray about these things, okay? So bow, our head, bow your head together, and let's, let's pray about it. So I just want, I mean, you know by now if this connects with you at all. I mean, you, you know if you're the kind of person that neglects rest. And so I would say to you, is like right there where you are, just make a decision. Will you schedule rest? Will you schedule rest? And then as a part of that scheduling, will you prioritize that every time you're in town, you'll come and be a part of the church? I mean, I think it's that simple. And you can say, no, I'm not going to do it. And I'd say, okay, that's up to you. Some of you are exhausted. And when you hear that rest is available in Christ, you say, Man, I want that. And what I would say to you right now during this response time, just tell him. Just like Ryan said when he was leading the music earlier, you can call out to the Father. And the Father isn't going to beat you up with a, well, you've really been sinning, or, man, you've really neglected rest, or, you know, I told you so. None of that. The Father is eagerly wanting to come into you, come to you as you come to him. The invitation of Christ 
as told by Matthew, stands, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. That's what Jesus is saying in this moment. God Almighty, we love you. We want to respond. And God, I am personally just convicted, even as I share about this command in your holy word to rest from work so that I can work out of rest. I'm not always great at it, God, but I want to ask you to help me to be good at it because I know that if not, that the ship will get overloaded and it'll sink. So I pray that for our church, that we would be a church that's kind of known for the level of peace that people experience in their everyday lives. And uh, and certainly it's going to require us to prioritize this weekly rest. We love you, Lord. And I just want to invite your Holy Spirit. It's already begun working to continue to do so, God. We love you, and I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.